Now I'm going to invite uh, Israel forwards, who's going to be reading for us out of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm grateful to have Israel amongst us and uh, maybe be here, what, a couple more months or so, brother, before you take off, perhaps? Something like that. We're grateful that his, his stay was extended a little bit. We expected him to leave uh, a few weeks ago, but he's still here and we're grateful for that. So he'll be reading out of 1 Thessalonians 1 for us. So bless you, brother. Thank you. Praise the Lord. So I'll be reading um, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 1. Paul, Sivanos, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only as the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia, and Achaia, where your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And now you turn to God from idols to serve living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he, had, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The grass with us. Amen. There's one thing that will last, can certainly stand upon the Word of God. It will last forever and ever. And Jesus said, as and I can remind you, several weeks ago we talked about that, that Jesus said that anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the storms came, the winds blew, and the house stood, right? So build your life upon these things that we're going to be talking about for the next few moments together. <clears throat> we'll be starting a new series in First Thessalonians. And uh, this will run uh, roughly 10 weeks or so. I think that's my, my plan, it's about 10 weeks. Take us up to just before the season of Advent. Um, and this is a really wonderful book. And, and my uh, selecting it, I do believe, is strategic with some of the things that are going on and being talked about in our world right now. And you'll see that as we, as we go through uh, uh, the Word this morning. Hopefully this will feel really timely and good uh, for all of us. 
Well, our faith is a historical faith. That is, it is a faith that happened in history, in the real world, in our time and space. The events of the Bible are not like those events mentioned in Narnia or in Oz or other you know, fictional books. One of the church's most widely known and recited creeds, the Apostles' Creed, mentions figures like Pontius Pilate. Many of you know the Apostles' Creed by heart. Right? Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why is that in there? Why do we put that in the creed? Why is it there? Because it's history, right? This happened in history. This was a thing that happened in a particular time and particular place. This is one of the reasons why Christians are interested in archaeology. Um, this month's uh, edition of Table Talk uh, talks about biblical archaeology. It's really, really excellent. I encourage you to pick up a copy, okay? It's my little shameless plug for Table Talk here. It's in the, uh, there's copies right there in the back. I brought them upstairs for you. We're going to be talking about some of these things uh, this morning. Christians are interested in biblical in, in archaeology, period, because it reveals aspects of our faith to us. Maybe you've kept items from someone who was dear to you from the past. Someone who's not here anymore. Maybe they're with the Lord. And they've passed on. Maybe, maybe it's something like a letter from your mom or your dad. Maybe it's a good friend. Perhaps it's a photograph or a painting. But these these things, these tangible items, remind us of that person, right? They take us back. They're little windows into the past. Because these were real people in a real world. When we read the New Testament, we're reminded of such things as well. These events happened. These people were living and breathing historical people. Paul was a real person who wrote a real letter in a real time and a real place. Scholars say that a typical letter followed this format in that day and age in that place. Person would write their name. So person X writes their name to the word to person Y, followed by a greeting. So it might be Bob to Sally. Greetings. That was the format of a typical letter as it was in that time and place. And Paul followed this format. Moreover, Paul writes to a group of people in a place that he had not only visited, but a place that still exists today. It was originally named Therma for the many hot springs that can be found near the city. But in 315 B.C., it was renamed Thessalonica after the half-sister of Alexander the Great. And that city was made the capital city of that entire uh, province. In Paul's day, some 200,000 people lived in Thessalonica. The majority of its people were Greeks, but there were some Romans and a strong Jewish presence as well. And if you were to travel there today, you would find the city named Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki, I think I'm saying that right. And the population well over 300,000 people today. It's one of the handful of cities that has survived from Paul's day. These were real people. This was a real place. This was a real letter. Well, we do, what do we find in this letter? Well, we find, again, 
real people, dealing with real things. Stuff that you and I can relate to. And as we go through, I think you'll see that, right? This is not just some bizarre, you know, fringe thing that they're dealing with. These are things that you and I deal with. But to get to the bottom and to get into some of what was going on, let's get the backstory of this little church in Thessalonica. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 17, we're going to read a couple of paragraphs there that tell us how this church got uh, started. And as you turn there, let me have Felicia pull up the image, the map uh, that I gave to her. There's a map. This is a really great image. Uh, I'm grateful for the folks at Crossway and the ESV uh, Bible study, the Atlas. Uh, it's a really remarkable resource. And uh, in that resource, they have uh, various uh, what you might call reconstructions of Paul's missionary journeys. Paul went on several missionary uh, journeys. Paul, as many of you may know, who wrote this letter, uh, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, the one called to leave uh, the Jewish world there in, in Israel and Jerusalem and to go out into the non-Jewish world and share the message of Jesus with people. And he went on various missionary uh, journeys. I'll talk a little bit about this in just a moment, but it, just for now, I kind of leave it there, Felicia. Let's read uh, in Acts 17. This kind of gives the backstory of, uh, of how this church uh, came to be. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis, I'm not sure how to say that, Amphipolis maybe, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set uh, the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Berea was not far from Thessalonica. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue again, their custom to go to the synagogues. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. All right, so that's the backstory there in 
Acts 17 and fills in some of the gaps of what we see in this letter here in 1 Thessalonians. Paul, who had been a called, again, a called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, an apostle basically means messenger, a, a one who is sent. Um, and, uh, and in the New Testament, of course, that comes with great authority. And one of those authorities that we, we, um, we've come to realize is that the apostles were the, the, the authors of Scripture, Holy Scripture. So we consider these letters, as did the early church, to be uh, the words of God through these men. Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he went out on various missionary journeys. And in the story uh, here, he is on one of those journeys. And Paul and Silas revisited the place places where Paul had preached uh, on his first uh, journey. And I could share a lot about that. I won't go on and on about it, but I think it is worth sharing just a little bit so you can um, have a sense of what's going on here. So you can see on this map, I hope most of you can see it from, uh, from across the room. I know may, we may not all have the greatest eyes, but hopefully you can see. Um, so this would be where they started from. And these little points along the map here are Many of these are places where Paul visited on his first uh, journey, which you can read about in the chapters preceding uh, Acts 17. You can read about that first journey. So he's along the way stopping at people he knew and met in his first missionary uh, journey. So they headed to uh, Macedonia after receiving a... a um, a vision of sorts in Acts uh, chapter 16. You can read about that. Paul was given a vision of someone in Macedonia saying, come see us. And so, uh, and Paul was in Troas at that time. And he crosses over here into Macedonia uh, after receiving that vision. And, uh, and he begins visiting various um, places there. He stopped first in Philippi, which you can read about in the chapter before this in Acts 16. Maybe you remember the story of the Philippian jailer, that amazing story of how uh, that man uh, came to be converted. That's right before uh, what we just read in Acts uh, 17. And so you see Philippi up here and he passes through these two cities, which we again read about in Acts 17. Amphipolis, I guess that's how you say that. Maybe it's Amphipolis, I'm not sure. And Apollonia. And these were smaller cities. And Paul's uh, custom was to go to the larger cities. And then he would, um, of course, pray and hope that God would raise up believers in that larger city. And then they were charged to go out into the smaller cities. And so Paul was selective in where he ministered and preached. And uh, so he passes through these smaller cities, not because they weren't important, but because it wasn't his strategy, right? He wanted to reach as many people as he could. And so he went into uh, Thessalonica again, which was a large, very large uh, city and a sort of hub of commerce and capital, actually, of that whole region. And so he goes into Thessalonica and after being asked to leave the city, um, or excuse me, he goes into Philippi, and after being asked to leave Philippi, he goes into Thessalonica, which lay along a main road built by the Roman Empire around 100 B.C. And Felicia, you can go ahead and pull up that image. This is called the Via Ignatia. And uh, it was a road built by the Romans that went um, all across, uh, kind of running east to west. I don't know how exactly long it was, but it was a very great road. And there were many of these roads that were built that helped, uh, you know, 
people get through get across the empire. And uh, this actually served the cause of Christ. These roads were instrumental in the spread of the gospel. And uh, Paul would have used one of these roads to uh, to travel. And Thessalonica lay right off uh, this road. This road here is over 2,000 years old, uh, built by the Romans um, roughly around 100 B.C. or so. And Thessalonica lay right off this little road here. But here we have in this city a real story about real people. And as it says in Acts 17, Paul went into the synagogues and began preaching and some were saved. However, opposition arose and eventually kicked him out of the city. Surprise, surprise. Not everyone is receptive to the truth, right? Many of you have experienced that. So this is the backstory to this little church. But why does Paul write the letter? Right? That's still a question in our minds. We've got a little bit of understanding about how the church came to be, but why does Paul write the letter? Now, perhaps you have someone in your life who calls you from time to time, and when you ask them what's going on or what's up, they say, oh, nothing. You got anybody in your life like that that calls you from time to time? Or maybe you're one of those people, right? You call folks, and they say, what's up? How can I help? Oh, nothing. Just, uh, just wanting to talk a little bit. Well, back in the AD, year AD 50, which is right around when we believe this letter would have been written, uh, when people took time to write letters, there was usually a good reason, right? It wasn't just, oh, nothing. <laughs> Paper wasn't cheap and it wasn't abundant. And letters took time to write and obviously a great deal of time and sometimes even involved danger to deliver. So if you're going to write and send a letter or take it somewhere, Usually it was pretty important. So what is the reason then for this letter? The occasions for this letter, I think, include a few lessons for us as well. So what I want to do is I want to kind of talk through the reasons, perhaps, that Paul is writing this letter, which I think are evidenced in the letter itself, and then give us some lessons or thoughts as well uh, as I share those reasons. So let's look and see if we can discover some of the occasions for this important letter. If you would, if you've got your paper copy of God's word there, flip with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read a little section um, that will give us, some, again, some understanding of why Paul writes this, this, this wonderful letter. As you turn there, remember that Paul was forced to leave before he wanted or planned right he had only preached it appeared maybe just a few weeks there and then was run out Uh, Acts 17 says he preached for three sabbath days in the synagogue that may suggest that paul was only there for a month or so amongst these people other places he stayed for years on his journeys after being ousted from berea paul heads further south to athens felicia if you'll pull up that map for me one more time and Maybe just leave it there now for a few minutes. You can see that Athens is south, right, of Thessalonica. And he went to Berea, which is over here. It's about 100 kilometers or 60 miles or so, something like that. And then he went south to Athens. So being ousted from Berea, uh, he heads further south to Athens. And from there, he writes this letter. He writes this. This is in First Thessalonians chapter 2, 
verse 17 and following. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. So actually, I'm sorry, Paul didn't write the letter from Athens. He writes the letter from Corinth, which I'll share with you in just a moment, a little bit about that. But he writes or he sends Timothy along his way up to visit them while he's in Athens because he could no longer bear it. He was so distressed and concerned about them. Listen to the language Paul uses here. He says they were torn away. Did you hear that in in that uh, verse there, chapter 2, verse 17? But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. Um, The Greek word there that Paul uses is the word that we get our word orphan from. Um, Paul loves the Thessalonians so much when he was unable to see them, it was like a parent being ripped away from their child. That's the word he uses here. This is a serious, deep longing he has after these people like a parent for their child. When he could bear it no longer, he sent Timothy to check in on them. And so Timothy left. And so that's point number one here is that God cares for his children. God cares for his children. And this is why Paul is moved to write this letter, because he cares and because God cares. Paul's love for the Thessalonians is a picture of God's love for them. It says that Paul wanted to be with them. He longed to be with them. And so does God. In fact, God loved them so very much that he actually came down for them. He came down. He took on flesh. Their maker came down and dwelt among them. His name is Jesus. When our first daughter was born, Behava, she was snatched away. She's going to blush probably. She was snatched away from us because she wasn't breathing. She had fluid on her lungs and she was struggling to breathe. And so we had to agonize as our little firstborn girl was whipped away from us like four or five minutes after she was born and taken to the NICU. We weren't able to see her for the first two or three days, but for a few moments here or there. So Megan could nurse and so we could just love on her a little bit. But we wanted to hold her so desperately because we loved her, but we couldn't. We couldn't because of the situation. That is the kind of love, that feeling, even deeper so, right, with God. That's the kind of love Paul felt for the Thessalonian church and the love that God felt for these people, that kind of love of longing after and wanting to be with them. God came down because he wanted to, he longed to, he loved his people. Even when they did not love him, God wanted to be near his people and wanted them to know him. Do you know that God loves you that way? 
God has that kind of longing for you. He does. After Paul sends Timothy up to Thessalonica, again, this is from Athens, not, uh, he didn't write the letter from Athens. He sent Timothy up while he was in Athens to check on his spiritual children. Paul then takes off for Corinth, which is about 60 or 70 miles from Athens. And you can see that here. See, there's Corinth, right? So Timothy goes to check in and Paul goes over here to Corinth to continue preaching and sharing the word. Later on, Timothy would catch up with him with Paul and Silas in Corinth. And upon his return, Timothy gives a report to Paul. And Paul then from Corinth writes this letter. Scholars believe this letter was written around the year 50 A.D., just about six months or so after Paul left Thessalonica. So the first reason, again, for the letter is because Paul cares for these people. They were in the NICU, right? He wanted to see them, but he couldn't. So he writes. He writes out of concern and love for them. But upon hearing Timothy's report, Paul also has some other reasons to write. Look with me at chapter 3 in 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bible there. Chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, so again, here we, we're hearing little snippets of what's going on. Again, real people, real place, real history happening here. Timothy's returned, met up with them in Corinth, and he's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we also long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Right? Timothy's report is positive. It's, it's a good report. He comes back and says, they've been, they've been afflicted, but they're still being faithful. And they're still walking with, with the Lord. So Paul also writes to encourage them. And that's the second occasion for the letter. Paul wants to encourage his people. I was trying to find three, three C's. Right? He cares. He encourages. And then you'll hear the third one in a moment. God encourages his people. The report from Th Timothy was especially good to Paul's ears because the church was facing opposition. If you look at chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians uh, verse 14 and following, um, I'll read just a few verses here. You can get a sense that they're facing some opposition. He writes this, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So they're facing difficulties, just like the churches in the land of Israel, right? We're being persecuted for their faith by the Jewish people. The folks in Thessalonica were facing the same from their native people as well. But Paul says, you were walking with God. They were doing well and continuing on in the faith 
Not only were they walking with God, but they had remained steadfast despite being persecuted. Paul writes to encourage them. To encourage them to continue to walk with God and to know also that God is judge, right? God is judge and will punish the wicked, right? Those who don't repent and turn to Jesus, God will bring justice. He will not let the wicked go unpunished. And that should be in all the injustice and problems of this life. That should be our comfort in the end, right? Is that God is judge. Sometimes we try and sort things out here. And it's not wrong to long for that and to pray for that and to want that. But in the end, God will be the one who sorts it all out. He is judge. Moreover, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonian church seems to indicate that there was some confusion among the church because of a forged letter. So you've got people outside the church influencing the church, right? Lying and deceiving and doing all sorts of things. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses one and two. If you want to flip there, you can indicate this. Paul writes now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Right? Do you see that? Paul gets wind that there's some sort of outside influence, perhaps a forged letter or some false teaching or something that's upsetting the people and misleading them. Apparently, some of the believers in the Thessalonian church believed uh, that because of this forged letter and also because of the severity of the persecutions that they were facing, that the day of the Lord had already arrived. Somehow they thought they'd missed it or that their uh, deceased loved ones had missed it. Some of the believers had died and their loved ones were distraught about the fact that maybe they'd missed out on the second coming of Jesus and therefore missed out on the future bodily resurrection and entry into the new heavens and the new earth. Paul encourages them by reminding them that all believers will enjoy the salvation of the Lord and not a single one will be lost. Is that not encouraging? Paul writes to encourage them and to dispel some of these false ideas. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. This will be my final point here and then we'll wrap up. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. What an encouraging word for people to hear that are going through suffering. That's encouraging. Christ will come for you. Christ will return for you. You haven't missed it. He will come for his people and the best is yet to come. Amen. And that's our final point. And the last reason for why Paul writes this letter to declare to them that Jesus is coming for his people. God is coming for his people. One pastor I was reading earlier this week said that each of the New Testament letters has a special message or what we might call a blessing 
that is uniquely its own. He writes this, quote, Romans, for example, emphasizes the righteousness of God. First Corinthians focuses on the wisdom of God. Second Corinthians on the comfort of God. Galatians is the freedom letter and Philippians is the joy letter, while Ephesians stresses the wealth that we have in Christ Jesus. He then asks and says this, quote, what is the special blessing of the message of first and second Thessalonians? It is the message of the return of Jesus Christ and how this vital doctrine can affect our lives and our churches and make us more spiritual. End quote. Over and over again in this book, Paul mentions the return of Christ. And in fact, Paul mentions the return of Jesus in every single chapter of this little letter. And far from it being some abstract, ethereal thing only to be pondered in the mind, for Paul it was a truth to be lived Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 say this, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul says there's a day coming. And Timothy tells me, you're eagerly waiting on that day. Paul exhorts the Thessalonian church to not give up, To continue steadfast, for soon and very soon the King is coming and we will see him again. Our hope is not in anything else. It is upon the Lord Jesus. Our hope is not in our money. It's not in our family, our education, our justice system, our government, our leaders, our skills our intellect, or anything else. Our hope is in Jesus and His return. If you have yet to hope in Jesus, after we sing this next song, I would be happy to talk with you more about what it means to trust Him and to wait upon His return. So Paul writes this letter, right? And he writes to let them know God cares for you. God wants to encourage you to see you strengthened and to have hope for the future. And he wants to remind you that he's coming again. This is the word of God for you today. Amen. Now let's pray as we uh, respond in worship. God, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you um, Um, take pains to encourage us, to give us courage and strength for the days ahead. And one of the ways you do that is by reminding us that that you are judge and that you're going to return and you're going to fix all the mess, wipe away every tear. There'll be no more dying, no more pain, no more sorrow. We will be with you. We put our hope, we, we set our hope fully on that day. Lord, let us be useful in the meantime. Let us be a people at work and sharing and praying and and, and loving our neighbors while we wait. In Jesus' name, amen.